doesn't do everything. Alright, Jackson, in Pirates of the Future, and we have a, well, a sad story that's happened this week. Yeah. And uh, we'll be talking about um, Falwell Jr. and Liberty University and evangelical leadership and the lack thereof and how that connects with President Trump and the Republican Party and all those different things. And so... Um, you had a question that you wanted to start off with. Okay, so this is definitely more in your wheelhouse. Uh, having some training in politics, uh, oh, a curious thing happened this week, uh, and this is one of the things. The first article we're going to be talking about is called "Black Monday for the Religious Right," mm. and so that was this last Monday. Uh, or that had been the twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fourth, and. Uh, this Monday had two bad things happen for the religious right. Uh, one was this uh, fall of Jerry Falwell Jr. And the other thing that she outlines is that the Republican Party did not have a platform. Um, and so to those of us who are uh, untrained in politics, you kind of go, oh, is that a big deal and uh, I've listened to a few different people talk about it and apparently from a political perspective that is a big deal mm -hmm. to not have a platform what does a platform do for a party Matt well I, I never really uh, this is always a common thing every four years when a party has their convention um, the things that are never shown on television is when very similar to like an SBC convention meeting you have a business meeting right you sit down and you say what is our agenda what do we what is our vision for the for the next four years for a party right. right this is the only they only do this every four years and um so they do the business of the party and uh and usually you set um policy um you know focuses that will affect the party as a whole it'll affect state races and congressional races and then obviously the presidential race um because the hope is as a party as you run these different elections and money is given to these different elections that you kind of speak with one voice mm -hmm. the best you can, right? Sure. That you're not um, contradicting yourself on the, on the campaign trail. And as other candidates uh, campaign for other candidates, you know, you want this kind of synergism by which you're speaking as a, as a message, as a talking points. And so it's a way to organize the, the views of a party. Um, and it's a kind of common thing. And, uh, I didn't even know this was a thing. I just assumed that they had a platform, right? Because <laughs> that's what you do. Right. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's not, when you told me before we started, I was like, kind of like, kind of cocked my head, but also like not all that surprised just with the whole Trump yep. being the president of the Republican Party. Because like, like, I, like, I think maybe people don't understand this, but like a sitting president who's running for reelection, he really is the 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 forward the speaker the leader of the party and so what he thinks there's usually a falling in line mm -hmm. the thing with trump though is he's he's so unconventional as a president as a candidate he's unconventional as a republican because he wasn't a republican for most of his life right um and so he doesn't really know even like when he ran in 2016 he he really made some really stupid remarks about abortion he just assumed that's what republicans viewed 
about abortion, and right. he was actually wrong in his understanding of what Republicans believe about abortion. Right. And so I think Republican Party has been in a weird situation the last four years, and they're in a really weird situation around now because they a lot of the party don't. They don't agree with his vision, but he's the president. And right. He's the sitting president. He's running for re-election. And so they're kind of letting him dictate terms. That's So that that's fascinating, first of all, um, that the Republican National Convention did not have a platform. And this so this reminds me of like, uh, so I work in a church, and it would be, you know, if uh, whatever governing body in, in any church uh, would come up with goals and priorities for the year, uh, that helps, especially as a, kind of a secondary staff member, you go, you know, these are the things we're emphasizing and I'm part of the team here. And so I want to be supportive of what our goals are. But I think any of us could think about uh, a business where we might work or uh, a university where we might work and they come out with priorities, things mm-hmm. that they say, these are the things that we're about. This is what we really want to emphasize and hammer on and work towards in the next few years. And, um, to not have a platform uh, is a very strange idea. Um, I'm just reading the, the dispatch.com, the article, which talks about how they don't, they don't have, oh, they, right. they basically forgo, they, they voted to forego the convention's committee on platform, which would be the committee that mm-hmm. set the platform. Uh, and they will continue to support the president's first America first agenda. Um, and then, so they're leaving it up to really the Trump campaign to set the platform. Yeah. Basically is what's going on. And, you know, um, one quote from this, uh, article, I I would guess if you were to talk to someone from the Trump administration, they would say, well, we have an agenda. Yeah, sure. Why do you need a platform? Right. And, uh, the the quote that, uh, this is by, this is called Black Monday for the Religious Right. It's by Bonnie Christian from theweek.com. And she says, quote, the RNC's 50-point agenda did not include any words like abortion and religious liberty and the Supreme Court and the Constitution itself. Words that don't appear in Trump's list include faith, prayer, limited, judges, judiciary, life, liberty, freedom. In short, she says, everything that was supposed to justify evangelical support for Trump has been dumped. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at DonaldTrump.com, which has his agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see headings like jobs. Mm-hmm. So jobs are really important. Uh, eradicating COVID-19. Ending our reliance on China. Health care. Education. Drain the swamp, mm-hmm. uh, which... If you don't know what that means, means basically destroying the establishment, political establishment in Washington. Uh, defending our police, ending illegal immigration, uh, innovate for the future, America's first foreign policy, defend American values, mm-hmm. which says continuing to nominate constitutional Supreme Court and lower court judges, protect the unborn life through every means available. Okay. No, I mean, you have life, but you don't have okay, mm-hmm. abortion, but Defend the freedoms of religious believers and organizations and support the exercise of the Second Amendment. Rights. Okay. Not really expounded, right? but those are the there. big bullet points. So. Okay, and, and so you can certainly put this underneath the category of uh, what you mentioned a minute ago, which is Donald Trump is non-typical. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah. And so we don't need a platform. We right. have an agenda. Right. It'll do just as well. Right. Tell him to print it out and look at it and... Um, when it's famous, you know, I don't know if you know this, uh, so Trump's not a huge reader. He's not one that's going to, like, spend his Friday evenings sitting in a chair reading a, a good long book, right? 
uh, is, is I've heard and, and read that he doesn't like to read like policy, um, like, like long explanations on policy that we put like in a report. Maybe sure. you. he likes bullet points, mm. short one page bullet points. Well, his entire agenda is bullet, bullet points. points. <laughs> uh, interesting. Because so it kind of fits his style. I, I look. seems a bit too too extreme, too complex for him. You know, and I guess that's uh, to a degree what uh, there's there's a take there on what the American people might want. Right. Um, now, so the, the typical agenda is what you have, or the, the typical platform that is what you have out of the Democratic National Committee, uh, which... Their convention was the previous week, right. and uh, expected phrases are in there, such as, quote, we must right the wrongs in our democracy, redress the systemic injustices that have long plagued our society, throw open the doors of opportunity for all Americans, and reinvent our institutions at home and our leadership abroad. Uh, there are things like we must guarantee health care not as a privilege for some, but as a right for every single American. And um, we must lead the world in taking on the climate crisis. And so uh, in, in there, uh, it, it's, it's telling, I, especially I, th- I think uh, coming from a small town, I can tell you one thing that I was very unaccustomed to in looking at official documents is um, it's not, it was never clear to me for a long time that if they put something first, well, does that indicate importance? And yes, sure. it does. It does. Uh, and, and especially they, someone who took Greek and, right. and seminary, if the writer put something first. They're emphasizing that's the right, purse, and, yeah. and it's the same case yeah. in these. And so, for instance, they have uh, something like uh, around ten priorities, just like what you major headings, like what you mm-hmm. mentioned there. And uh, their headings begin with dealing with COVID nineteen, rebuilding the economy, and then affordable health care is third. And and so you know, look to me, um, at all times, uh, policy is one of those things that you ought to put out there uh, because ideas are something that you ought to put out there that you ought to want um, in, in politics. Ideas are a big deal. Okay. Uh, we, we this this podcast is is in part an ideas podcast because yeah. ideas matter. Right. And um, I do think that that this agenda is a little bit of a statement that ideas don't matter as much. Right. And and I I, I disagree. Uh, you know, it's it's a stressful time, but. Man, in a lot of ways, a lot of the problems I think we're seeing are consequences of ideas that are, mm-hmm. that are playing out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that was a strange thing uh, mm-hmm. that happened. Um, uh, here's a, a summary that also appears in this article. Uh, she says, quote, The American conservatives, Rod Dreher, more bluntly charges that the GOP only exists now as a personality cult for a personality who just made clear his utter apathy about abortion, abortion and religious liberty. Mm. Now, uh, they, they appear on the agenda. And yeah. so you, you, have, you have this, but uh, it's not about ideas right now. I think it's clear to say it's not about ideas in the Republican Party. It's more of a personality establishment than it's been for quite a while. Yeah, and it definitely seems that way with, with Trump. And um, he's not an, an ideologue. And I think that's the struggle with people. Um, he doesn't... You know, most presidential candidates or elected officials have they kind of fit an ideologue they're arguing for some idea right mm-hmm. that they think America should be moving towards um, where Trump isn't an ideologue again he doesn't want to read policy reviews he wants to just be given bullet points and he wants to be sent out to speak to the people right, right. And, he, and he that's where he he feels like that's where he 
has his, his power is, is speaking in the microphone and before the camera. And that's a personality. It's not sitting in a room with, with advisors and trying to, how do we make the America better in certain areas? And then getting experts in a room. He doesn't surround himself with experts. Right. Um, and I think that is one of the you know struggles that people have with him is like an ideologue would bring people into the room and say, how do we accomplish this problem? He just wants his personality. He has a night. He has a thought about something. He 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 watched it on Fox News or whatever. He's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. We'll do that. And he just goes out there and just through charisma, says like, this is what we're gonna do. And and if anyone's against him, he goes on Twitter and just you know starts um, kind of uh, saying nasty things about the particular person, kind of uh, demeaning them uh, when it comes to their person, but not really about their ideas. Yeah. And it's just. It's a troubling time, but that's who he is, and he's not changing. Right, and so um, this is this is one of the issues that was referred to. But uh, lest we assume that everyone just knows this uh, story of Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, and and the major players in this, I think the the major theme today is kind of Christianity and power. Yeah. And so uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, represents a crossroads of Christianity and power. So. Liberty University is a large school uh, evangelical institution. Uh, if anyone doesn't know to be an evangelical institution, you uh, basically just have to say we're an evangelical institution. Is, is largely same uh, with church, I mean, right? You right. You can, kinda... Yeah, you can say we we've started and yeah. we're an evangelical church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the movement has been uh, very entrepreneurial, very self-starting very and uh, self. Uh, conceiving in some ways. Um, and so uh, Liberty... Um, this is in Lynchburg, Virginia, if you didn't know where that was. Right. Is, Lynchburg is kind of middle of nowhere. Really grew under uh, Jerry Falwell Sr., mm-hmm. who was very tied in with the religious right and uh, the story yep. of uh, the religious right through the uh, 80s and the 90s. Jerry Falwell uh, Sr. is, of course, passed on now. Um, and Buried uh, on the campus, I believe, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and his two sons represent kind of two sides of him. Jerry Falwell uh, Sr. started out as a pastor and then became more and more involved in politics. Mm-hmm. And the thing that most of us who were evangelicals knew about Jerry Falwell uh, Jr. before this uh, was that he was the more political uh, businessman side, and Jonathan Falwell uh, is much more the minister. Uh, okay. And I know very little about the other son. Right, and, and, and you know, as far as I can tell, he's he's maintained a lower profile. You know, why do we know the name Jerry Falwell uh, Jr. across the country? He he's been one of Trump's strongest supporters yeah. in the last few years. Well, it was found out on Monday. Was, uh, well, he was like the first <clears throat> Christian evangelical leader that came into that account and supported Trump, right? Isn't that right? I don't I don't know. There were quite a few in, but, in turn that came out. Came out and and and, uh, and Trump really kind of grabbed on to that um, endorsement. Yeah. You know, Faultwell Jr. has endorsed mm-hmm. me. Liberty University has endorsed me. He associated Jerry Faultwell Jr. with the school itself. And then he was invited to speak at Liberty University. And that's where he made uh-huh. the funny... Two Corinthians. Two, okay, yes. Yeah, two Corinthians in his his speech instead of Second Corinthians. Right, right. And they kind of like people were like, well, he says he's like a, a Christian guy, but wouldn't a Christian know it's Second Corinthians? 
<laughs> well, right. Um, uh, anyways. So I remember all that. Yeah, I had forgotten that that was uh, part of mm. kind of the story yeah. uh, of him. But uh, on Monday, um, it was basically discovered that uh, a young man who had worked as the pool boy at the Falwell's mansion had become involved sexually with Jerry Falwell's uh, wife. And uh, then that, I think, uh, no, I'm, I'm certain that <laughs> there was that, Fowell Jr. tried to get in front of that story and say, so my wife had a problem, doesn't really but we resolve, impact yeah. me, yeah. and so we'll just move on from yeah. this. And, of course, of course, a different uh, perspective came out in Reuters that, you know, yeah. look, now he's involved in this. He seemed to be in the room during some of these events. And um, long story short. Yeah, and I, th- I think I read even earlier today that, that Reuters has been, and ABC News also have been developing the story for quite a while. And, like this has been a build up, and mm-hmm. obviously, you know, right during the UNC, the RNC convention, seems like a prime time to get some coverage on this issue. And one of the religious leaders who supported Trump in 2016 comes out that he has, to say, a pretty, a pretty dirty <laughs> uh, sexual affair with that his wife had with a with a young boy, a man actually, uh, and that he was. Uh, like creepily evolved in it in, a, in, in, in some way in some that, ways, you know what? he says he wasn't but the um the young man um who i think was what 20 21 22 at the time when the affair started um and they have, the affair lasted what six to seven years i believe i don't know if that's what you read as well um and um and so anyways yeah it it's the story is not all of a sudden it, it's been preparing i guess it, mm-hmm. and and the uh the young man was on um I guess the morning show, this I don't know if it was this morning or Monday morning, uh, and he was interviewed and, and, and showed um, um, audio tapes and all different other pieces of evidence that this stuff is this stuff actually did happen. Right, uh, and so by the end of Monday, uh, Jerry Falwell uh, Jr. Even though there was a little back and forth about it, did resign as president mm-hmm. of Liberty University. This is. Uh, this isn't should be uh, scandalous and unacceptable to evangelicals, and uh, so he is removed, and uh, that'll be a part of the story of Liberty, and uh, and hopefully they make a plan, go forward, and uh, do better. Now, this raises a lot of questions that are reasonable, uh, and and. Issues that, as you and I were talking this week, coming up to uh, looking at this article, which is how do these sorts of things happen within evangelicalism, and what does it take to become uh, an evangelical leader? Yeah, and so um, one of my I chuckle during campaigns and election years when they talk about the evangelical vote um, and what that means, uh, because really. The evangelical vote is not like the Catholic vote. Right. The Catholic vote is far more unified because they are more they are more top to bottom structure. The Pope at the top, the 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 church structure that goes that webs out from there. They speak with more a more singular voice. Evangelicals as there is no Pope, you know, there is no chief leader, especially now that Billy Graham's passed away. Right. There is no single voice. Um, and our, people would argue that evangelicalism is a Billy Graham movement, right? That really he is the, the founder of and, and really the, the momentum of the evangelical movement. Um, and we even talked about, you mentioned kind of the entrepreneurial 
uh, spirit of of the evangelical uh, subculture, uh, very much a part of um, you know um, like the campus ministries of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, uh, a lot of that movement that mm-hmm. happened in the sixty of fifties and sixties and seventies. Um, really speaks to what the evangelical movement was, and it got connected in the '70s with Roe v. Wade, with moral majority in the in the religious right and right. The political aspects. Because really, I mean, Billy Graham was not political. I mean, he 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 was a mentor to Republicans and Democratic presidents. Mm-hmm. It's not like he only spoke with Republican right. presidents. So. Right. Billy Graham was, in a, in a way, very apolitical, right? It wasn't until Roe v. Wade, and it wasn't until Jerry Falwell Jr., right. uh, I'm sorry, Sr., that it became, that the, the evangelicalism became a political movement. Yeah, I remember in reading uh, Billy Graham's uh, biography that he had gotten, I believe, pretty close to Nixon, and yes. that, it, that cost him, uh, he, he was very wise about a lot of things, but he yeah. was in particular wise about politics. And after uh, getting what he felt was a little too close to Nixon, he took a step back and said, you know what, I, I represent the gospel right. and I want to uh, serve yeah. humanity by yeah. sharing who Jesus is and how he, he died to save sinners. Right. And I, that is not a political uh, movement in the sense it's not partisan. Mm-mm. There's no party that has the lockdown on right. this, this. This gospel is for all. Right. And so uh, Billy Graham afterwards navigated even to uh, the end of his life as his health declined uh, into... He was never captive to any political ideology, political party in any way. And he navigated that very wisely. It's not easy mm-hmm. to do. No, and I think it's... I think, um, you know, evangelical leadership, because of the way that it is, that it's this entrepreneurial spirit, there really is no top to bottom. It's very much uh, spread out and um, grassroots Mm -hmm. is very much the the leadership. We were talking earlier, one of the, I think, the the issue with the evangelical movement is a lack of authority that the church has Mm -hmm. in the movement itself. I mean, Billy Graham was not... He was a pastor in his early ministry, but he was never—he never pastored a single church. He, right. he did crusades, right? Um, and that's what he's known for. He's not known for like—he's not—he wasn't Charles Spurgeon. He didn't preach to like fifty thousand people every every Sunday, right? He did the crusades, right? Um, so he wasn't like Spurgeon. Um, he didn't pastor a church uh, for I don't know how long Spurgeon um, pastored. Um, um, the church in London, but um, but you you didn't see during you don't see strong uh, church uh, leadership within the movement to provide any accountability to it, right? Um, and so therefore, guys like Jerry Falwell Jr., while he's called an evangelical leader, he's not a pastor of a church. He's a president of a sem- of a of a of a university, um, and he doesn't like you know I don't know how many people like listen to his words or read his books or kind of whatever he says and advises they follow. I don't mm-hmm. know how many people actually do that. Right. Um, and so he's a leader because he is a personality, but is he really a leader of the movement or has he just been claimed to be that way because of his position, who his father was and his uh, association to power. Right. And so this second article by actually the same writer, Bonnie Christian is called Jerry Falwell Jr. Reveals Evangelicalism's Authority Problem. Uh, this is again at theweek.com. And uh, I I agree with 
her that there is an authority problem within evangelicalism. It is longstanding in some ways built into the movement. And the, the summary of the authority problem is just what you mentioned. Yeah. There is plenty of power, right. but not very much accountability. No. Uh, and so over the course of this article, she does a really good job of unpacking why that is and, and how that works. And uh, one of the main points that I think we have to make is that, uh, you know, according to Jesus, power is not to be used in order to further self or to be lorded over people. Right. Power is to be used to serve other people, right. and power always comes with accountability. I mean, right. we will, the scripture is very clear, we'll answer for everything we do, whether in word or deed. And so uh, we want to see how we get there. Um, here, here's some lead-in uh, just in, in thinking about this. Uh, she said she spoke to uh, an evangelical who, who said, uh, kind of just a guy off the street, said, what makes Jerry Falwell Jr. an evangelical leader? I don't follow him. And I would think maybe this week there have been evangelicals who have felt that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she says, quote, for an outsider looking in on the movement, this may seem like a protest in bad faith. It's not. I've been in evangelical circles for 30 years, says a representative tweet. Uh, Falwell's dad certainly was someone who had a vision for liberty and had a lot of influence, but I have never heard anyone ever refer to Falwell Jr. as a leader in evangelicalism. I'm not trying to be combative, just honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could say the same, uh, and for most, I think this protest is sincere, she says. But I also think it's entirely fair to call Falwell an quote, evangelical leader, because of how leadership is often developed and authority asserted within American evangelicalism. And then here's the punch. You, you, you compare this, and it's a very good comparison. Uh, she says, quote, to understand this problem, you have to know a little bit about church governance. Some denominations, like the Catholic Church, have a strong system of top-down control. If Pope Francis were caught in an illicit liaison, like Falwell, no Catholic could respond by denying the Pope is properly deemed a Catholic leader, sure. but evangelicalism has no comparable hierarchy, and many Christians within it worshiping groups that are also light on top-down authority. There's no Baptist pope, and many evangelicals are in non-denomination, non-denominational congregations whose governance is entirely self-contained, end quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Graham was a Baptist. Yeah. Um, typical, uh, uh, and in a lot of ways, his story is probably the one that is the easiest to explain how this can happen in smaller ways within little evangelical circles. Mm-hmm. Billy Graham was successful. He had his act together. He, he had large crowds. He looked good from afar. Thankfully, one of the reasons that we still speak highly of Billy Graham is that he looked good yeah. by all accounts up close, too. Yeah. And there are things like the Billy Graham rule that he wouldn't go into a hotel room with without him. somebody saying, no, there's, it's all clear. He didn't ever want to be in a situation where yeah. he was alone with a woman right. uh, unexpectedly. or mm-hmm. you know, And, and so um, he took great care to protect his integrity. Mm-hmm. And it, so one of the results is that he was adapt, uh, adopted as kind of... Uh, the evangelical, the, a comparison, an evangelical pope. He, mm-hmm. he was looked up to and, you know, this is our guy. He represents us. We're happy for him to represent us wherever he goes. Yeah. And so as a result there, um, if you're in an evangelical church, you will see uh, in, in various circumstances that uh, different personalities and different people 
that that these people don't know personally will often be kind of adopted as mm-hmm. sort of a hero, uh, as an idealized mentor, someone that you follow and look up to and try to act as they act and do as they do. Yeah, uh, and I think there's a huge vacuum now that Billy Graham has passed. Um, and Franklin doesn't, and even though Franklin, uh, it doesn't, he's, in, he, I would call him an evangelical leader. He also speaks on politics often. Um, he doesn't have the, the success of his father, but he does have the name, and he is involved in ministry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, um, and the Falwell family, very similar. I mean, right. they, they are, I mean, I'm not, I, mean, I don't know if Falwell Jr. has done anything but be president of, this, of Liberty, and that's where his... I believe he's a lawyer by training. Okay, so he's never been pastoral in ministry in, in any way. No, no. Um, and so it does seem like there's a higher, there's a there's a heritage aspect to family mm-hmm. that's a very much a big part of it, um, and I, I guess I guess, even though we would probably not claim him as a leader, but I think the outside world would call um, uh, also I mean um, oh, what's his name uh, Olstein oh, sure. probably an evangelical even though he's not political um, he has a large following um, and so there's just the evangelicalism is so. It's not really rooted in any particular doctrine. I think political uh, political views and tr- and family values is probably more what it's defined as than it is actually Christianity or the doctrine of the Bible. Um, and that's why it's so big, and that's why it's so unorganized. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, anyone can claim to be a leader in the evangelical world depending on his personality and because of his following. Um, and if they also will kind of agrees with that claim, they will be claimed as an evangelical leader, even if we do not associate them as an evangelical leader. Right. right. Again, Falwell Jr. is not a leader in my mind. I've never followed any advice or words he said. I've never read a book by him. I've never listened to a speech by him. Uh, the same to do with his father. Um, the same with Olstein. Um, we would probably say that Dr. Moeller is probably more of an evangelical leader to us. Right. Or even our local pastors, as I was talking about earlier, is probably more of an evangelical leader or books theologians or other writers that we tend to follow, we would probably say they're more of our leader. But a lot of these guys that we typically follow are not very political. They're not being asked by, you know, the Wall Street Journal or CNN. They're not asked, what what is your political view or what do you think about Trump? Right. You know? And so therefore, they're not really claimed as an evangelical leader from the outside world. Right. Um, and so this is a... An interesting time. I know that, um, I don't know if you remember him in, in four years ago when Trump was running for president, there were some in the evangelical community that were kind of never Trumpers, I guess. Sure. And didn't want to be labeled as an evangelical any longer. Because if that associated with Trumpism, sure. then I don't want to be an evangelical. I think even Dr. Russell Moore even said that he doesn't really want to be considered an evangelical anymore because he made the statement, you can be evangelical just because you went to VBS as a kid. Sure. And so therefore you are considered an evangelical because you have traditional Christian values, you live in the South, Mm -hmm. and therefore you're an evangelical voter even though you're not even a Christian and you don't even know very much about what it means to be evangelical. Mm -hmm. Um, So that word today means almost nothing. you know, Um, And so... Some of us who are never Trumpers and we didn't vote for Trump didn't even want to be associated with evangelicalism as a label and wanted to be considered like, I don't know, gospel Christians or whatever a new label could be used for. Sure. 
Um, and so those leaders, you know, if you're a gospel Christian and don't want to be tagged with this political um, baggage, yeah. your leader is not going to be Falwell Jr. Your yeah. leader is going to be your local pastor. Your leader is going to be J.I. Packer, you know, or, you know, Tim Keller or John Piper or someone like that, right? That's who you're going to look to, even when it comes to political ideas. Like right. John Piper's, uh, Pastor John, when he talks about abortion or healthcare or guns, that may be what influences your views on political views by these theologians that you look up to. Right. And I mean, if you're an insider to evangelicalism, you know that it's multifaceted and there are a lot of yeah. leaders. It's um, it, to, to live in this world is uh, strange from the standpoint of uh, there are certainly... Uh, what you could call Christian celebrities. Oh, yeah. And uh, just like with celebrities in Hollywood, there's uh, sort of, you could make an A-list, a B-list, and a C-list. Oh, sure. And then constantly, if you keep track of it, people's yeah. stars are rising, people's stars are falling. I think right now about um, when I first became uh, a youth minister, uh, Mark Driscoll's star was oh, just yeah. rapidly on the rise. Oh, and yeah. He was a hero to so many of those teenagers and it was interesting for me because since I was it was kind of uh, I was the adult in the room for right. the first time I'm trying right. to then have a more mature perspective and trying to warn them because I had by that time experienced you know look some of your heroes they may fall and that'll that'll be you know be careful right. and then of course uh, Mark Driscoll has had ups yeah. and downs and ups and downs and um, there are many but from the inside evangelicalism looks one way as you hear so many names and uh and, but then from the outside, you think about uh, in American politics how uh, evangelicalism in some ways started popularly with Jimmy Carter. Yeah. And, you know, born again, what does that mean? You yeah. know, this is, very, uh, this is a very biblically comparable situation that happened in America in the mm-hmm. 70s. Where this guy says he's born again. What does that even mean? How can yeah. somebody be born again? Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden the, that uh, needed to go out uh, to the whole country to figure out what that means. But the then, first Southern Baptist president, right? I mean, wasn't he Southern Baptist in Georgia? Wasn't he a member of his church in Georgia that was Southern Baptist? And he still is. And he still is. He's in Sunday school class, I believe. Uh, and, and, you know, and then, again, can it be more confusing when you have Jimmy Carter, who yeah. is president of uh, yeah. Democratic Party, yeah. and he has variously held different positions over the years yeah. that would not align with uh, Southern Baptist views. And, uh, and, and he, there are many stories we could tell to talk about power and uh, evangelicalism. Um, but again, the most dangerous thing is that this power comes with very little accountability. Yes. It doesn't mean a lot. Right. Uh, and and that's a big problem. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, you know, you're talking about the evangelical world. It literally is its own world. Mm-hmm. And it has its own niche. And, to, and to, to kind of say evangelical is X, it would be a faulty way to start that definition because it's so, it's so complex with so many niche groups within it that you can't define it with a single definition. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. represented a part of the evangelical world. But even though you have guys like Rob Bell, he was an evangelical right. leader. Right. And what happens with him? He, he has his, pro- he has his popular, he has a pretty growing church up in, I uh, think, was it Michigan or I, I Grand Rapids, I believe it was Grand Rapids, Michigan. He then, you know, writes uh, Velvet Elvis. He has the NUMA videos. 
He then writes uh, Love Wins, right? It was this big controversial book that say, basically saying that no one was going to go to hell. Uh, right. And uh, and then he gets adopted by Oprah. Right. And he he right. becomes a part of Oprah's kind of like train and 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 her all of her uh, um, when she goes and 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 tours different right. cities and stuff. But he is an evangelical right. leader, right? To a certain niche, to other groups and niches, it's music related, right? Or right. it's um, um, I don't know, it's third day. I don't. There's so many different niches within right. the evangelical world. There's theologian niches. So if you're like high high thoughts, you've got the R.C. Sproles, you've right. got the Pipers, you've got the Mullers that you can call your leaders. Yep. And uh, and that really is kind of where it is all at. And uh, it makes one thing even. Evangelicalism is interesting as a thing because its rise, where it comes from, who are right. its leaders, what really is it, is a fascinating study, sure. and um, because it's so complex, right. and um, and it'll be interesting to see if you know they've said this when Billy Graham passed away. Will anyone fill his shoes, fill his vacuum, to basically be the organizer of the evangelical world, right? Is that even possible now? See, and, and yeah. the since evangelicalism was underground uh, in some ways, and and Billy Graham preceded that. Billy yeah. Graham, his name was known before right. uh, the name evangelical, right. uh, and so he had the perceived authority, I would say, to supersede and stand over in that way and no uh basically i, I think since he is gone and um and you would have to be a, a genius in multiple ways to navigate the waters that everybody's yeah. swimming in now yeah. things are so complicated right. your words can be taken out of context you can you know uh not to mention that you can just do something that uh a lot of these people that uh we've mentioned they just haven't shown their chops to handle uh, right. The complicated uh, matters being drawn in, being a captive to various uh, politicians, uh, being power hungry in itself is a weakness for all of us and one that, uh, man, I, I pray for anyone who gets into these rooms and, and is told, we'll offer you this if yeah. you will lend your voice yeah. to us. It seemed like Rick Warren had the opportunities to be that new Let's just call him the evangelical pope, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you have a guy who invites um, then Senator McCain, Senator Obama to his church and has uh-huh. this Q and A. Yep. I mean, what? Other and they both came. <laughs> uh, and then President Obama invited Rick Warren to do the inaugural prayer. Right. right. So, like, there is a way that maybe Rick Warren had that he had a popular book, prominent pastor, was maybe rising to that level, but he is somewhat. I mean, I don't hear his name as much anymore. Um, I'm not sure if there was a particular reason why. I know right. his, his son committed suicide, and, and in, the, in the evangelical world, some could use that as, as weapons against his leadership because his son committed suicide, mm-hmm. right? Um, and well, maybe, you can be attacked for anything. You can be attacked today, for anything, for exactly. Sure. And so he's kind of diminished well, a yeah, bit. And um, I do think there is a class of leader who has just gone, you know what, I... We'll just pastor my church, yes. and I will serve these people. I don't have to right. be a PR right. uh, spokesman for everything. Right. And uh, and you know, hey, if that's if that is what decision you've come to, there, there that may be absolutely the wisest thing uh, for you to do, given the the times that we 
live. So let me ask you, do you think with all this, based off our conversation, do you think the evangelical movement, what it used to be and what it's considered and defined as, is something that is dying? See, no, I don't. And um, we have talked about all this uh, from the standpoint of weakness. It is, it is also evangelical strength, that it's so grassroots, mm-hmm. so bottom-up. There are, there are people right. within evangelicalism, the name that nobody knows right now, who are trying mm-hmm. various ideas about how to uh, reach people for Christ, how to grow mm-hmm. a church, how to share the gospel, uh, and... That is the greatest strength of it as well. These are side effects mm-hmm. uh, of the way we do governance, the way we don't do accountability. Um, it, the movement has, from its inception, when you say to the layperson, the, the average Christian, you got to learn to share the gospel because mm-hmm. Jesus expects it of you, mm-hmm. well then, that's going oh, to yeah. make it unpredictable. Yeah. And, sure. I, I guess and, I meant more like the political, the political movement. Well, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a factor in ele- elections down the road, because I think the way, the way that politics and views are not necessarily being passed down from parents to children. You know, children now and who are now adults, their what they what policies in, interest them are different than their parents, and so they won't necessarily vote the same way their parents do. So the thought that Republicans can just roll out every four years and expect a high majority of the the evangelical vote, I think that is something that will, as election cycles come down, it'll be interesting to see. Now, now that... With the lack of leadership and such a complex um, niche world that it is... Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if they'll push R every four years as a, as a, as a block. Well, so I, I've thought about that, what you're talking about. And uh, so I'll frame it this way. I follow a guy named uh, John Marshall, who is a retired pastor from Second Baptist Church in Springfield, where mm-hmm. uh, I have some, some close friends who live out there, and I've been to the church. And uh, the other day he put on Twitter that uh, the most – uh, the fastest growing and most successful in terms of uh, numbers and, and other ways that the church has been, uh, he said there's four different centuries. The first century, uh, he said, the, I believe the 300s, um, and then I believe the 1500s and the 1900s. He said these are the four centuries that the church grew dramatically, that things changed immensely for the church. And I really think what we're experiencing right now is that it's very difficult to be the century after Christianity had all these major gains and then to go, you know, look, uh, there are setbacks. Not all these people that said they came. I mean, this has been long than the story talking about Billy Graham's ministries. Yeah, uh, he didn't disciple as many people. It's like, well, I mean, it's pretty clear. I think that he was an evangelist. Right. And look, yes, we would. We who are in ministry know that discipling people is difficult. Yes. To get people to follow through on a commitment yes. to Christ, people disappear. Yes. I mean, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and people. I, think, and I mean, Jesus of, talks yeah. about people. Yeah. People can say yeah. yes, and then yeah. they've I mean, never seen or heard from we again. We can spend a whole. <laughs> we can spend like five episodes talking about the. Uh, 
evangelicalism and their obsession with numbers that are meaningless. Right, right. <laughs> that are literally right. meaningless. And so <laughs> one thing that I'm certain is going on right now is that it, no movement is equipped to come to grips with losses after losses after losses when you are geared to, to gains after gains after gains. Right. It's very difficult. Right. And... You know, uh, my perspective on it is, you know, look, if these were genuine conversions, they would have lasted. And so, that, right. yes, it's sad, but right. we cannot wring our hands right. to the degree to get bent out of shape. Again, Jesus says in the parable of four soils, look, there's going to be people who have no root. There's going to be people mm-hmm. who are seduced by greed. Yeah. And, and, and you see all this. Three of the four. Right. And, and so it, <laughs> it's, it's, the time. it's yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard. It's yeah. one of the hardest things about being in ministry. Oh, absolutely. And so one thing, though, culture-wide is that uh, this is, I think, going to be the story for a while, that we do not hold the power that we used to. And the it's, it's fairly straightforward, I think, when you think about it like that, that there's a great danger in becoming power-hungry, yeah. in being so just... Uh, Heart wrenched by losing the power that you used to have right. in the good old days, oh, yeah, sure. uh, but that is not our yeah. goal. Our yeah. goal is not political power. Right. The church started out as a dissident movement in the Roman Empire that was much more brutal. Uh, that was more brutal than any communist yeah. uh, dictatorship you could find for me today. Not to say that they aren't brutal, but to to say that the Romans. Put, Jesus was not the only person crucified mm-hmm. in in the Rome under Roman rule. They did this regularly yeah, to like, say to people, "This like is Peter. what we do to the worst of yeah, the worst." Right. They would they would crucify people down the streets. Children mm-hmm. would see mm-hmm. crucified individuals, and, and they did that to say to children, "Look, you never do what that guy did." Yeah, right. Those are the worst criminals, yeah. and so that was Rome, and and Christianity grew up under that, and so uh, we are not well adapted to to experience this decline, but. It's okay, right. and we can still go on with the gospel, even right. though this looks like the way it's going to be yeah. for a little while yet. And I yet. think, especially Americans, if you're an American Christian, you the struggling of 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 decline, mm-hmm. and and let's just say losses. Say, obviously, God's in control. He's the Lord. He's the winner. He's all, he's going to win at the end. He's mm-hmm. in control of what's going on. Um, so this is not a huge surprise to him. But it's it's I think it's hard for Americans, especially American Christians, to see decline, mm-hmm. and they want to fix decline. For sure. And and you know we hear this in you know meetings and church pastors and and, and church leaders. Hey, we're losing. We're we're declining. We need to fix the decline. We need to fix the curve, mm-hmm. right? And and you know and the, and the idea is let's use solutions from the past to fix the curve. We just need to do the old ways better. Sure. Sure. And they're, and it's sad to watch it because they really don't understand that you're right. I mean, these these things are happening, and they're going to happen for for as long as God wants them to happen, for His greater glory and for His purposes and wisdom. And we're just going to have to be faithful to Him and the people who are coming to know Christ and who are being discipled. We need to disciple them in God's Word, and and pray that that God will keep them faithful to the end. Right. And that's and really all we have. We, yeah, there is no changing of the curve. 
Right, and and so I am happy to be. I mean, for me, still, uh, I don't mind the label sure. of an evangelical because it's like you know, look, we are entrepreneurial. We try things, right. and and I think that it's it's comparable to how often we do talk about like uh, sports analogies and things. You know, look, you you in a in a game, you go out, you leave it all on the field, you give everything you've yeah. got, you try yeah. what seems to be the best thing at the moment, and then. You go home and go, guys, we did what we could do, right. and let's get, you know, next time, let's yeah. do the same thing. Give yeah. it all we've got yeah. and know that, hey, we we are not the end-all, be-all. We're just trying our best. Uh, God is right, and the rest of us are just guessing. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's where we stand. Yep. Uh, and so from that standpoint, you know, uh, hey— it's going to be hard. You know, look, I know I've heard the stories and we've experienced seeing churches losing their buildings and, you know, look, but the movement is not built around buildings. Right. Uh, the movement did not start in a building. It started in the heart of Jesus Christ. Right. And, and, right. and still the and heart of Jesus okay. Christ is available today <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to restart any person within earshot. Mm. So that's, a, that's an exciting thing. Mm. And so all this to say that, well, this is... Uh, a sad moment. Monday was a sad moment and one that's not acceptable. I, I, there is, I, I hope nothing in this came off like, Hooray. you know, it's yeah, a, that, right. no, I mean, if you lead an evangelical institution or a, any sort of Christian institution, you ought to behave in a Christian manner. Uh, there is unfortunately a lot of money within Christendom. Oh yeah. And uh, we've probably talked about this in regards to, uh, quote, Christian artists, you know, musicians. You can make money as an artist, just market yourself as a Christian artist. Yeah. And, yeah. and unfortunately, it's true that you can be a leader of a Christian institution who does not have any interest in behaving in a Christian manner, but you should. Yeah. If you want to lead a Christian institution, yeah. you need to behave in a Christian manner, yeah. uh, no matter what your name is. Yeah. yeah we were talking yesterday and joking around that we talk about the big business of, of Christianity and, and the Bibles, right? Go to a, book, a Bible. I go to a, a Christian bookstore. There's so many different versions of the Bible. And it reminds me of that great movie done by the Coen brothers, oh, Brother Rothal, where George John Goodman plays the Cyclops, and he's the Bible salesman. There's big business in the work of the Lord, right? <laughs> oh, he makes this comment. <laughs> what is this? Comment. Uh, uh, old, uh, uh, oh, Brother oh, Rothal. Oh, yes. fantastic music, great, great soundtrack, yes. every, good in every way. And John Goodman plays this, he plays the Cyclops. So it's yep. based off the, the, the right. Odyssey. And he plays the Cyclops, right? And he's like, they're big business, my boy, uh-huh. and selling Bibles, right? right. And, and that's and working for the Lord. He, mm-hmm. he said, and he's not a Christian man. He's a, right. a kind of a wicked dude, but he's found ways to make money and to be profitable and have power through selling the Bible to old women is right. basically what he's doing. So this has been, this is a thing. And uh, people will use the church, they'll use uh, Christianity to gain power and influence, to mm-hmm. make profit and money, and uh, this is not the first time it'll happen, it won't be the last time it will happen, there will be leaders that will fall, there will be leaders that said one thing and then did another, they said, follow these rules, but then I'm going to actually follow different rules, I mean, that's sheep's and wolves' clothing, I mean, right. wolves and sheep's clothing, as, as Christ calls them, and, uh, and so... Um, but it is a sad, it's a sad day. Sure. It's a sad um, so we do not want to ever conflate success, uh, authority or fandom to put all these things yeah. into, you know, um, the same basket, uh, within evangelicalism. So I want to propose as we're moving towards the end here, uh, how the gospel could inform our politics. I think it's a misnomer. Mm-hmm. It's not a reasonable statement to say that you do not have any implications about 
politics by being a believer. Uh, so I think it, here, here's the first thing I think to start with. Uh, we unapologetically vote our conscience, uh, even in lesser of two evils situations. Look, if you're a citizen, you ought to be a good citizen. Part of that is voting your conscience, looking at the issues, looking at the policy proposals. Uh, to whatever degree you have the time and feel comfortable and then uh, casting your vote as you feel uh, able. I think that one is not terribly controversial. No, we hear that comment a lot. Uh, so, the second thing, uh, our hope is not, however, in political power. Right. Uh, our hope is in the work of Christ on the cross and in the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Uh, and, and I think that's a distinction that is just important because it is too easy to get wrapped up in, uh, especially, uh, you know, I, it, it's, it's very heartening to remember that, look, much is made of political elections, especially every four years. Uh, I watched the other day uh, Lyndon Johnson's, uh, one of his election videos that, uh, that said, if you wonder what might happen under uh, the other administration, and then it showed just a burned over country because a nuclear bomb had fallen. Yeah. And and it, and, and Goldwater. And, do what? Didn't he run against Goldwater? I think so. Yeah. And so, listen, it, there's always talk of the huge consequences around oh, elections. Yeah. That's, yeah that's, the, when you're two when you're a two party system. You, ha- you create this narrative that if the other guy wins, the world will explode. That's and right. that's how campaigns work. And, you know, and frankly, at the moment, look, I'm not saying the consequences aren't there, but uh, that's, we haven't yet shown videos about uh, nuclear winters and things yet in this election. So uh, to keep us grounded, our hope is not in political power. It's, it, it's just not, and it shouldn't be. And, if, and if, if you can feel that your heart has gotten there, oh, please, uh, Reconsider, repent, ask that your hope wouldn't be there, because it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know, look, uh, politics matters, how we organize, what things we work on, right. especially as millions of people. We are able to make changes. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, for the Christian, our hope is not in political power. Uh, so we do, however. We work for real good, real change, but rather than seeking the favor of the wealthy and powerful, uh, we know we already have God's favor in Christ. We have it. Uh, we we. We are beloved of God, and, and that ought to change how we feel about all this. And then we share his favor. He, Jesus says, if you are tempted to seek to favor some, why not the poor? Mm-hmm. He says, in fact, he says, hey, if you take care of the hungry, thirsty, stranger, the, the naked, destitute, uh, the sick and in prison, that you've taken care of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, those ought to be the people. If you want to seek the favor of somebody, mm-hmm. go seek the favor of those people. Right. Nobody's seeking their favor because they don't have power. power. And you know what? Right. God has power, yep. and uh, he'll be impressed mm-hmm. if you seek those people, mm-hmm. if you seek to care for those people. Mm-hmm. And so, so we ought to work on healing broken relationships, uh, adding beauty to this world in various ways artistically. Even do, doing landscaping in front of your house is a spiritual activity, I think, mm-hmm. to say to the world, you know, look, we can make order out of chaos, mm-hmm. even in a small way. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking truth to power, holding leaders to account. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is important mm-hmm. in these times. Uh, and, and in just thinking about this, about striving, this gra- I mean, the, the scripture talks about grasping. Yeah. It's always this temptation. It's always with every one of us, no matter where you are, of grasping, thinking that if I take control of my own destiny, my power will then set the course for my life. Oh, that is not the message 
uh, of the New Testament. Mm -mm. Uh, God has the course of your life just held right in the palm of his hand. But are you going to try to fight out of... uh, out of the fingers of God, or do you accept you want to be in the palm of his hand? And I, I hope we can want to be yeah. in the palm of his hand. Yeah. yeah. And to end with this, I think this is all really good. And I, I think one way to, um, if you really want to be involved in politics and you really want to see change happen, you feel like you can influence that change, and you only vote in the presidential election, you're totally misunderstanding how politics work, mm. really. Politics is local. More politics affects your life locally than it does mm. nationally. Even though if you either hate Trump or love Trump, his influence on your everyday life is very minuscule. Mm-hmm. But your like local officials, your mayor, mm-hmm. your um, aldermen or council of people have a lot of effect on your life. And you can actually meet those people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can meet. I mean, I've, I know where our local state representative lives here on the west side. Yeah. I've been to her house. Um, you can, I've met the mayor a few different times, you sure. know. And so there... Those people, you can actually hold them more accountable because you can actually talk to them. Most like mm-hmm. you can probably send them an email or call them and talk to their office. Um, you'll never get that um, that access to the president. Sure. You probably won't get that access to a governor. And right. so, you know, I think too often people are, are affected so much by this one election every four years. I get it. It's it's the big showcase. It's the Super Bowl of politics. But as the Super Bowl is typically not the greatest football game of the year. Uh, usually the presidential election is not the most influential thing that's going to change your life. Um, and so very few people vote in local elections, very few people vote for mayors, and that's where people really need to engage. Um, and I would just encourage you to do that. Great. Yeah. And so uh, this has been Empires of the Future. All right. And we'll see you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll see you in the future.